please take your Bibles, open to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we've been, our Advent series has been called Lift Up Your Eyes, The Transforming Power of Seeing Jesus by Faith. Um, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, seeing Jesus, are being transformed from glory into his image from glory to glory, and this is by the Spirit. Our desire is that during this Advent season, we will lift up our eyes in faith and see Jesus and be transformed. Because you cannot see Jesus, behold his glory, and not be changed. You will either grow into his likeness, become more like him, or you will harden your hearts and you will move more and more into darkness. As I've said, the same sun that melts wax will harden clay. And so my desire is that we will see Jesus and be conformed more to his image to be less like the world and more like Jesus. So this morning, uh, my title is Lift Up Your Eyes and See the Harvest. Lift up your eyes and see the harvest. We're going to be looking at John 4, 31 through 38. And as we move through the text, I'm going to be asking this question. What does Jesus see? What is he asking us to see? What does he want us to see about the world around us? Or how do we see like Jesus sees? How do we have the perspective that Jesus has? Now, having the right perspective, we all know, is incredibly important. If you don't see things rightly or from the right perspective, then your perspective is skewed or you're not seeing both sides or you're not seeing everything that you need to see. Maybe you've heard of the story about the man who found out it was his time to go to heaven. And this man, when he knew this was going to happen, he pleaded with the Lord if he could bring with him just one thing. Lord, let me bring with me just one thing. And the Lord said, no, we don't let you bring anything into heaven but yourself. But he begged and pleaded and pleaded and begged, and the Lord said, fine, you can bring with you this one extra thing. So the man went home and packed his suitcase. He filled it with gold that he had collected his entire life. He gets to the gates. Um, the, Peter meets him there, and Peter says, what are you doing? You can't bring a suitcase in. And the man says, it's okay. The Lord Jesus gave me permission to bring my suitcase with my with my most valuable possession. And he said, Peter says, well, okay then, come on in. Do you mind letting me see what's in it? And he said, sure. So he opens his suitcase and Peter looks at it and goes, why would you bring pavement? Why would you bring pavement? The issue is what this man thought was really important when he finally got heaven's perspective. He found out that that really doesn't matter at all, right? It's the same dirt we walk on. It's just pavement. Now, as you turn to John 4, if you, if you remember, this is the account of the woman at the well. Okay, so let me give you some context. As we get here, Jesus has been traveling through Samaria, which, by the way, most Jews avoided at all costs because the Samaritans were considered unclean half-breeds. They were the remnants of those of the promised land who intermarried with the Jews, okay? We find Jesus in this text very tired from his journey, and he's sitting beside Jacob's well, and this woman comes to draw water. The disciples had left Jesus alone there, weary, as they went on into town to buy food. 
Now, as she approaches to draw water, Jesus surprises her and asks her for a drink. Now, she's astonished. Why would Jesus, a Jew, speak to her? She's not only a Samaritan, she is a Samaritan woman, doubly to be avoided in public. But what we find is is that Jesus does want to speak to her. Jesus actually wants to offer her something. Jesus graciously offers her living water, right? That if she will take the water that he offers by faith, she will never thirst again. So look there if you're in John 4, back at verses 13 through 15. And Jesus says this to her. He says, everyone who drinks of this water, again, pointing to Jacob's well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. That's why she comes to get water every day. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And this woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come and draw water. Now she misses it, right? She misses it. But Jesus continues revealing himself. He's the promised Messiah who will pour out his spirit on all who believe. And Jesus points out that though the Samaritans worship on their mountain and the Jews worship at the temple, the location didn't matter as much as those who worship God in spirit and truth. So she's puzzled, okay? She has a certain hope, but she's not really sure about it. Look at verse 25. We're getting there. Verse 25 says, this woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us everything. So she believes something. She believes a little bit about Jesus. Like, well, this guy's talking about some strange stuff. I'm not really sure what he's talking about. But I'll just tell him, well, I do have a messianic hope. Like when when this Messiah comes, he'll explain everything and then I'll understand. And look at what Jesus says in the last sentence there in in verse 26. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You're talking to the Messiah. You're talking to him. He's sitting right here in front of you. And now, by the way, the disciples show up at this point with food. And they're just as surprised to find Jesus speaking with a Samaritan woman. Okay, and that's where we pick up in verse 31. So here we go, verses 31. This is our text for the day. So chapter 4, verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, and eat. Rabbi, eat. Remember, he's weary from the journey. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So now that we have the context, let me ask the question again. What does Jesus see here 
And what does he want us to see? And let me answer it in three ways. Here they are. Number one, what Jesus sees is this. Jesus sees the will and work of God as his purpose. Jesus sees the will of God and the work of God as his purpose. Look back at verse 34. It says there, Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Now, as we read through the text, you note that the disciples are puzzled. They are puzzled. They left Jesus hungry and alone at the well, and they come back, right? They went to get him food. They come back to Jesus, and he doesn't want their food anymore. They're puzzled, okay? Their only explanation is, well, maybe somebody else brought Jesus food. Or maybe this woman here at the well also brought him some food. Somebody has to have given Jesus food. But that's not the case at all, right? What does Jesus say? He says first that my, that Jesus says first that doing the will and work of God is his food. My food is to do the will of God and the work of him who sent me. So the will of God, in Jesus' perspective, the will of God and the work of God is as essential to his daily life as eating physical food. Doing the will of God and the work of God is as important to Jesus as eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If you remember that, he begins his ministry by stating that he has come to do the will of his Father, that he has come to accomplish the work that he's been given to do. In fact, in his temptation, he tells the enemy what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Word of God being the will of God, right? So the will of God for Jesus, if you read through the New Testament according to his own words, the will of God includes for Jesus preaching the good news, he heals the sick, he sets the captives free, ultimately he goes to the cross to die in the place of rebel sinners, and he gives eternal life to all those who believe in him. That is the will of God and the work of God for Jesus. In fact, in John 6, two chapters later, Jesus says this very clearly. He says, for I have come down from heaven. That's Advent story. That's the Christmas story. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. How about that? That's why Jesus came. So this is how Jesus sees his purpose in life and his mission. That mission, by the way, if you're catching the context, that mission didn't stop when Jesus left the borders of Israel and went into Samaria. Jesus' heart and mind are set with blazing passion and intensity to do the work of God and the will of God above all else, no matter where he is. So think about that in your own life. I don't get to lay aside the will of God and the work of God because I go to work or because I become a parent or because I go to college or because I coach basketball or because I um, go to the beach. I don't get to set aside the will of God and the work of God because I find myself in a different place. Everything in life is about the glory of God. So whatever you find yourself doing, know that it is still a, in this, I seek to accomplish the will of God and the work of God, right? 
And Jesus does this, by the way, knowing what? Knowing all along it will cost him his life. And that's why Jesus, by the way, tells his disciples that follow him that they have to have that same perspective, right? This is why the New Testament, why the Bible's filled with verses like this. If anyone would come after me, what does he do? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you're going to follow me, that's what you want to do. Whoever would save his life has to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That's perspective. What does it profit you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Or Matthew 10 where Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So that's the question. Do you see like Jesus? Do you have this kind of perspective? Is doing the Father's will and accomplishing his mission as important to you as your next meal? That's something to think about. This Advent season. Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't be a parent or that you shouldn't, be, uh, you shouldn't work your job or you shouldn't um, enjoy life and have it be filled with gl- joy and fun and glory. But he's saying that all of that should be done in the context of mission. All of that should be done with the context of I belong to Jesus and I live for his glory. That's what Jesus sees. Second, Jesus sees the fields are ready for harvest. Look there at verse 35. Jesus tells his disciples after they're puzzled, he says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now remember, Jesus has intentionally taken his disciples out of Israel, out of Galilee where they had been ministering around the Sea of Galilee. He takes them out of the borders of Israel over into Samaria. He intentionally takes them there to a people they were taught to despise. And then Jesus says, you're here to see a harvest. You're here to see that my mission isn't simply for the Jews in Israel. He tells them, lift up your eyes, look at Samaria, and see that the fields are ripe and ready. Now this completely changes their expectations. They probably expected to go through Samaria just to make their way down to Jerusalem. They didn't expect to go there to hear Jesus preaching and reaching out to Samaritans and offering them salvation full and free. Jesus wants a salvation. Jesus here changes everything. He doesn't simply want a harvest among the Jews, but among the nations, among the Gentiles, even those you may even hate or despise. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. That's important because Jesus is trying to help us and them, the disciples, better understand the gospel of grace. Just think about it in terms of grace. If we are saved because of anything other than grace, then we are saved because of some kind of merit or worth in ourselves. If we are saved by our national identity, or because of our race, or by our culture, or our morality, then it is no longer by grace alone. Then you have earned it, and you deserve it, and therefore you can proudly declare that you are better, 
and you are more deserving than others. You can look down on others like the Samaritans and despise them as unworthy. But by the way, that's not the gospel that Jesus has been preaching, isn't it? Is it? Jesus has come preaching the gospel of grace to the undeserving, right? Jesus offers the waters of life freely to those that are despised and outcasts. Jesus offers himself as the bread of life to all who would come to him without cost. The salvation Jesus offers cannot be earned. It cannot be bought. It cannot be coerced. It cannot be negotiated. And it cannot be manipulated. There's no way. If it, it can only, it can only, do you understand yet? It can only be received as a gift. Free. No strings attached. None. This is why Jesus can look out on the Samaritans and go, don't you see the fields are ripe? Because here's the point. In the harvest field of the world, there is not a single person, not a single tribe, not a single country, nation, or place that deserves this kind of grace. Amen? You are here today not because you're an American, not because you've earned it, not because you've thought better or smarter or anybody else. It is by the sheer grace of Jesus. And that grace doesn't make people prideful. It makes people humble. Humble, because we look at others and go, I am no more deserving than you. You are no less deserving than me. We are all here simply swimming in the ocean of God's grace. Basking in it. Again, this is part of the purpose and mission of Jesus, doing the will of His Father. Jesus has sent the Son into the fields to gather a harvest. Look at verse 23. Just skip up to verse 23. Look what Jesus tells this woman. He says, the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Why? For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The Father sent the Son to find those who were seeking to worship and delight the Father for His grace. He's gathering those who burn with zeal and passion for exalting the Father. So let's ask the question again. How does Jesus see the world here in Samaria? Well, he knows Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it and all those who dwell in it. Who does the earth belong to? The Lord. It's my Father's world. Even if I'm in Samaria, this is my Father's world. Even if I'm in Egypt, this is my Father's world. Even if I find myself across the Middle East or in Asia, this is my Father's world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This includes, again, the Samaritans, the Greeks, the Gentiles, the Romans who were oppressing. It includes the Russians and the Palestinians. This is my Father's world. Jesus knows that His Father has prepared a great multitude for the glories of heaven. And here in John 4, Jesus is telling His disciples that we have been sent into the world as witnesses of the great news of grace. We are going with grace to the undeserving. This is Jesus' perspective. This is what he sees. The grace of God to every nation, to every generation. Everything changes when you get a biblical perspective. 
Everything changes when you see the world like Jesus sees it. It changes everything, right? I mean, think about this. In the Bible, everything changes when you understand, when you get a biblical perspective, whether that's Job's understanding of suffering in light of God's sovereignty, whether it's Joseph who gets sold into Egypt for God's purpose of saving many people. It changes the way you view the purpose of the church. Is the purpose of the church so we would all be comfortable and, and we would all have everything really nice and easy and fun? Or is the purpose of the church to train us and equip us to reach the nations for the gospel? It changes everything, right? Now think about James Calvert, the missionary to the cannibals of Fiji. On his way there, the ship captain tried to turn him back. And the ship captain says this, You will lose your life and the lives, and the lives of those with, with you if you go out among the cannibals and the savages. And Calvert replied this way to the captain, We died before we came here. I've been bought with a price. I've been buried with Christ in baptism. I've taken up my cross, denied myself, and I'm following him. Or as Jim Elliott famously said, who also went to cannibals and savages, the Aki Indians, and Jim Elliott, when he was tried to be deterred, he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You are no fool to give up what you cannot keep this life to gain what you cannot lose, eternal life. Listen, that is the point. That is perspective that leads to intentionality, commitment, and sacrifice. Jesus sees the world as his, as his harvest field. Isn't that what the angels sang last week? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? For all people. Third, Jesus sees his disciples at work with him in the fields. Jesus looks up and he sees his disciples at work with him in the fields. Look at verses 36 through 38. Jesus tells him to look up and see the harvest. And then he says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So that's the question. What does he see, right? He sees the field of the world ripe for harvest and he sees his disciples and those after him joining in bringing in the harvest. One is sowing, another is reaping. But guess what? All are laboring together for the great purpose of gathering the harvest. That is participation together, cooperation together with Jesus. And you might ask, well, Jacob, how do we do this? How do we join in the harvest field with Jesus? Very simply, we join by sharing the word of the gospel with others. We sow the seed of the gospel prayerfully, carefully, cautiously, lovingly, compassionately. I didn't mean to say cautiously, but compassionately. We join with Jesus by relying on the power of the Spirit, trusting Christ, we join with Jesus by trusting God to do what he said. Listen, people have to hear the gospel to be saved. I don't need to break the news to you, but that's what the Bible says. Romans 10 says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
For there's no distinction between the Jew or the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. How then will they call on, call on Him in whom they've, never, they've not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? You have to hear the gospel. So we go sharing the gospel. And we share the gospel trusting God to work by His Spirit. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, what is Paul? What is Apollos? They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Think about that. Paul goes out preaching the gospel, planting churches. He says, I, pl- I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? God did. We trust God by His Spirit to work. This is the partnership and fellowship and mission that we share. We are called into the world to make more disciples. That's our mission statement, by the way, if you look at anything that has our logo on it. What are we here to do? Love God. Love people. Make disciples. It's on purpose. Okay? That's the great commandment. Love God and love people and the Great Commission. Make disciples. That's why you exist. Okay? That's why we are here. Jesus is sending us out in the same way he was sent. Okay? We are sent praying, sowing, reaping. So let me ask you. Have you lifted up your eyes to see the harvest? Here in Carroll County. Among your family and friends. Among those that work with you. Among those that you would go to basketball games with, do you see the fields white for harvest? Do you see your calling to participate? So my, as I conclude here, see the world as Jesus sees it. Lift up your eyes. Long, by the way, long for this. Desire to see every people everywhere join with us in the worship of our great King Jesus. By the way, that's what happens in this story, by the way, if you look down at verse 42. Look down at verse 42 of chapter of, of John 4. This woman goes and tells everybody in Samaria about Jesus. And look what they say. This is how they respond. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Not just the Savior of the Jews. Jesus is the Savior of all who call on Him. So let me just say three quick things and I'll close. Seeing the world like Jesus is part of being transformed into His image. How can you say that I see the world like Jesus sees the world if you don't in fact see the world like Jesus sees the world? I want to see like Jesus, live like Jesus, love like Jesus. Seeing the world like Jesus is necessary to engage the world rightly and effectively. Again, if Jesus, Jesus cannot be the Savior of the world if He's simply the Savior of those who look like me, dress like me, and talk like me. He's the Savior of the world. Third, seeing the world like Jesus is necessary to love others the way Jesus loves them. Listen, in the context of Samaria, this is a big deal for his disciples. Jesus doesn't see in Samaria throwaways or good-for-nothings. He doesn't see others as worthless or useless. 
He doesn't see them as enemies to be vanquished, but as souls to be saved. He sees others with love and compassion. The same love and compassion He bestowed on you. And you didn't deserve it. Not because you got it right. Lord knows you don't get it. Let me just tell you as your pastor, you don't get it right. Guess what? Your pastor doesn't get it right either. Now you'll say amen. Hey, there you go. Amen to that. Yeah, he, de- he definitely doesn't get it right. Yeah, but none of us get it right. That's grace. Okay? Jesus longs to pour out love and mercy, compassion and grace, and to give them life. Look up and see the fields. As Jesus said in Luke 10, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And as you pray that, join in the labor in the field. Pray, sow, reap, give, go. Take every opportunity in our church, in our community to make Jesus known. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. And Father, may you be glorified in it. Father, this is our Father's world. And Father, we pray that you would use us. And Lord, that we would find great joy and delight in humble service humble sacrifice, humble obedience. Father, use us. Make us joyful in Jesus that spills over onto others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.